The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITO Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITO coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group, inside the U.S. or abroad, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all of the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayRx. You can find them at www.slayrx.com. SlayRx is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayRx was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayRx offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legally enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gels, try SlayerX Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running, and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2020 at checkout on their website, and you'll get 10% off anything you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, Pleasant2020. Test, don't guess, with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast possible. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm a father of twin boys. I'm a college professor. I'm a multi-sport coach. And for the last 30 years, I've been an endurance athlete. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, an athlete and coach here in Atlanta who just likes to talk to smart people and read smart things. <laughs> and I'm Michelle Frank, mom of three girls, work full-time as a CPA, and I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. Right on, right on. We are coming to you for our third episode on YouTube. We're tweaking things, changing things, experimenting new stuff, as we always do, both as athletes and as coaches and as people in general here. Um, how are we doing, folks? We don't want to spend too much time. Michelle actually gave me very explicit orders not to bring up the not virtual, not birthday <laughs> uh, 10K that she's doing on the track in a few weeks here. But uh, but but how are you doing? How are we holding up? I mean, 
you really suck that you just said that, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, you know, I had a bomb to work out this morning, but otherwise I think we are pretty much holding steady. I do notice this week that um, I think my crew is getting a little bit more stir crazy than we've yeah. been the last, I guess it's been eight weeks. Mm -hmm. um, my 14 year old was looking for uh, condos in Palmetto Dunes and Hilton Head because we typically go there every every August and decided that maybe we should go the first week in June. So okay. that was a, a new interesting plight into the child planning the trip to Hilton Head for me. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, you know, it is what it is. And I would just write it out. She has an eighth grade graduation. So we're waiting to hear uh, what type of accommodations they make for that. But otherwise, right. uh, just hanging on to a thread that maybe summer camp will happen. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in, in some form. Um, yeah, I, I mean, my girls go to camp in upstate New York, so mm -hmm. they haven't canceled it yet. And they sent an email that they would run camp in a lockdown fashion. Okay. So I think it's just going to be a matter of the State Department issuing permits, county permits and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah we'll that, see. that's going to be tough. The, the governor of the state of Georgia, where we are, uh, made a statement yesterday sort of updating and, and modifying some of our current executive orders. Um, and he actually specifically addressed summer camps. Um, yeah, because 32 people, requirements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're stringent, super stringent requirements. Um, but I think that speaks to the fact that people like you, Michelle, people like me are thinking about, okay, school's about to be out, um, you know, or, or we're moving into the summer season and this is when my kids will be going to camp and, and how's that going to happen? How's that going to look? Um, yeah. So yeah, I think, I think that's kind of going on right now. Um, we have a couple of places that we're looking at that, that are kind of similarly under lockdown procedures and, and trying mm -hmm. to, to meet those 32 different requirements, which we appreciate, which they should. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Patrick, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Nothing new for me this week. Um, mostly just kept You got a new haircut. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. We ordered a razor that came in via Amazon. Sat on the back porch, we're like, all right, let's see how this goes. <laughs> so not as easy as it looks. I'm not gonna lie. You get about halfway through, and you're like, what you get about I halfway through, and you're like, now? I might have made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you do it? Did your wife do it? Who oh, did it? My wife did it totally. All right. My and we wife also knows she grew up it. in a family of girls, so she's like, I've never seen, and her dad's mm. bald. So she's like, I've never seen like a man's haircut before. <laughs> all right. All right. Like, well, nice. About to see her first. <laughs> Very I mean, nice. the good news is it'll grow back. You exactly. can start over in a few months. So. Exactly. So. I, my, my wife has made it clear to me that she refuses to cut my hair. Um, uh -huh. My father-in-law has said that if we purchase clippers, he will cut my hair. Um, but my wife refuses to cut my hair. And so if I were to order clippers, she still wouldn't do it. And so I, it would either be left for, for me to, to get someone else in our very small bubble to do it or to do it myself. And doing it myself is a bad idea. I mean, my hair has gotten so fuzzy that literally as I look in the mirror, I can see it curling around my ears in the back. Um, but yet, nonetheless, my wife refuses to cut my hair. So, yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I ask how we're doing. I think it's interesting. I, I had several people reach out to me this week. Um, and I think, really, here we are on May 13th. I think folks are struggling more now than they were a month ago. Um, yeah. I, I think that, that an extra month of COVID fatigue, if you want to call it that, lockdown fatigue, whatever you call it. Um, and I think that, that the novelty is worn off of a lot of the things that we were doing to try and get through here at the outset. But there's still no races and there's still no certainty for our future. I think people are, are actually struggling more mentally now than they were even a month ago. Um, 
I, I was supposed to have a workout this morning with, uh, with uh, several people. And one person uh, wrote to me and said, you know, I can't get up. I, I just, I, I can't bring myself to do that. I'll do the workout later on. And I was like, that's fair. Totally get it. Um, he's just mentally, his mental energy is drained from, from even where he was a month ago when all this stuff started. So, um, and it's interesting. I had several people reach out to me too on a similar note over the course of the past week, um, saying that, that they liked or appreciated the fact that I mentioned that I was 13 pounds over my race weight <laughs> yeah. in last week's, um, in last week's podcast. One of my, uh, one of my friends texted me and said, that's the most relatable thing I had ever said on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but the reason why I'm over that, um, and I should probably point out that I actually, are you over that this week? Are you more no, than 13 now? I haven't stepped on the scale since our last podcast, <laughs> since before our last podcast. So I might be, I don't, I don't think I am though. I think I'm, I, I think I'm still about in the same place, but I should say though, I never quite hit my race weight immediately prior to the LA marathon. So I'm really only like maybe 10 or 11 pounds over where I was on the starting line on March 8th. But, um, but I, I have a limited amount of mental energy right now. And, mm -hmm. and I can spend that mental energy on doing group workouts and getting up and, and racing on Zwift and sort of finding uh, different satisfaction and sort of training and trying to dig deep for some unknown goal. I can spend my mental energy on that. I can't spend my mental energy also on, on trying to, to watch what I eat amidst all the other challenges we have right now. I just don't have it. Um, and I think that's, that's very normal uh, for a lot of people right now. What do you all think? The key to me avoiding your situation has been meal planning. Hmm. So it's a little bit, you know, it's late into the game, but I don't think it's too late to ever start doing that. Um, mm -hmm. If food is made and it's kind of the only option, then it forces me to eat more of mm -hmm. like a balanced meal. Mm -hmm. So I got more, I think I told you back into fancy salads this past week. <laughs> so you went from omelets <laughs> to fancy salads, right? I did. I got, I burned out on the omelets. Um, so you had to get the big salad. Yeah. And just not having as much junk in the house helps, but For sure. I don't know. There's just no end in sight right now. I think some businesses mm -hmm. are softly reopening, but most mm -hmm. of us, I would venture to say that as much as we maybe want to go back to work and be with our colleagues, we really would rather be on a starting line or at least, I think at least for me, just know when we might actually get to step onto a starting line and there's mm -hmm. nothing that's really permanent planned, um, definitely going to happen at this point. So that's right. where the, you know, where the newness of it all sort of wears off. Yeah, I agree. Patrick, yeah, what do you George, think? To your point, I think you're, you, what you're saying is like, now's the time to almost forgive yourself to some degree, mm -hmm. right? If, if usually we could give, you know, a le effort level of 10, so to speak, just to kind of pull out a number, abstract number. Now we got to dial it down to an eight because for a lot of us, we have to deal with a lot of things that we don't usually have to deal with. There's a lot of uncertainty kind of hanging over our heads, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, new work situations, new childcare situations. And so now's the time to say, you know what, if you need to eat like M&Ms for a snack, like fine, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. the key is to take care of the big stuff, take care of the, the kind of the big, you know, and focus on the 80, 20 principle, do the 80% or, you know, or kind of have 80% of, of your bases covered. And then if you miss out on some of the details, now's the time to say, that's okay. We're not going to, you know, we, we don't have to necessarily force it because we talk about this all the time. Mental fatigue is a very real thing. It is not, you know, something you can just tough out, so to speak. And, you know, it's something you have a limited reserve of, as you know. And so there's some wisdom to either taking the route of, hey, now's not the time to kind of fight over what I'm going to eat. And there's also, you know, wisdom into what Michelle's saying to say, hey, I'm going to just even eliminate any temptation and just not have it around. Mm -hmm. 
I have not gone that route. I have plenty of jelly beans and M&Ms in my house, but you know, it, it, it's certainly something to be cognizant of because it's just a different, you know, situation we're in right now. In a way, I would say the kind of COVID uncertainty is almost this kind of low level hum of stress. It's kind of, right. you know, um, always in our life right now, even if we're at work or we're on a fun podcast or something like that, it's always there. Mm-hmm. And even if we're not like, I have not lost anybody myself. I have, not, I don't even know anybody that's really gotten sick or been admitted into a hospital. Or I only know one or two, but at the same time, it's just always there. And so I think that's something to recognize and then be aware of and then kind of, you know, change how we approach things moving forward based on that awareness. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I, I, I know um, my, my, I'm older than you are, so my networks are a little bit wider. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I know several people who have gotten it. Um, and then I'm connected to a handful of people who have died. Um, they were like a guy in my mom's Sunday school class, for example, mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. So I was connected to them, even though I didn't necessarily know them well. Um, but yeah, but, but that, that, that low level, that, that hum of stress, as you called it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's real. Um, and, and it just builds on and drains a lot of mental energy. And like I said, I mean, my, my main thing in bringing all this up is to simply say that, that it's normal if you're feeling this way right now. Um, and, and, and I'm not speaking to the two of you necessarily. Um, I'm speaking to, to the much wider audience that, that, that if you're like, oh, you know, I, I was, I really started this whole lockdown thing, gangbusters, and now I'm just, I've just totally lost all my mental energy. I think that's normal. I think a lot of people, yeah. like I said, are, are struggling more now than they were even a month ago when, when all these lockdown things were really starting to, to bite. Um, yeah, so. I just think most people thought that it would be over by now or that yeah. we would be transitioning back to what normal used to be. Mm-hmm. And now we're For looking sure. at an entire summer with no community pools, no neighborhood pools, no swim teams, no camps. So it's kind of like you could survive the school year at home, but nobody wants to leap into the whole summer at home also. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, so speaking of, of, of coronavirus and COVID-19 and all that sort of thing, for the first time since everything began locking down with the coronavirus. Something on my social media broke through last week. Um, and, and literally my Facebook newsfeed, and I, I have an Instagram and I have a Twitter, but, but Facebook is, is the primary means by which I am social on social media. Um, uh, the, my, 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 my Facebook newsfeed has been wall-to-wall coronavirus for more than two months. Um, it's just all everybody's been talking about, everybody's sharing something, you know, this is what I think about this. What do you all think about this? Here's this article. Here's that. Um, I, I would even put like murder hornets under the coronavirus <laughs> umbrella. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, because that's just kind of like, cause almost all the articles I saw said, you think coronavirus is bad. Here come the murder hornets, you know? Right, and so, right. so I would even sort of put that as part of the same psychology. But last week for the first time, something actually broke through that wall to wall. Um, and that was Ahmad Arbery. Um, Ahmad Arbery, we're not going to talk about it a great deal here, but I did want to mention it really quickly because you know, we're located in Georgia and, and we're a podcast about endurance sports. But Ahmad Arbery was a young man in his mid-20s, an African-American man who uh, was on a run in around Brunswick, Georgia, which is in southeast Georgia. Um, and uh, he uh, came upon a couple of guys in a truck who thought that he matched the description of somebody who had allegedly robbed a couple of houses uh, a couple of months before in that area. Um, and so they uh, pulled guns on him, demanded he stopped. He didn't stop. He tried to go around them and then they pointed the guns at him and, and there was a struggle for the gun and he was shot and killed. Um, and I think that, that um, a lot of, of people in the running community 
um, this was one of their first very clear senses of their own privilege that they ever had. Um, sure. and, and so I think that a lot of people in the, in the running community, particularly white males like me, um, who enjoy a great deal of privilege, um, uh, for the first time began to say, oh, wait, like a black guy can't go run without being profiled and ultimately shot and killed. Um, and so I, I think that that privilege is something that, that really made this resonate with a lot of people in the running community. Um, and then the other thing that a lot of people talked about in the running community and is sort of an ongoing conversation and it's spilled over into this week um, is the lack of diversity in distance running um, in the United States um, and in endurance sports in general. Um, and the barriers that are in place, the cultural barriers and the, and the socioeconomic barriers that are in place um, for people of color to enter endurance sports and specifically distance running. Um, so, like I said, I don't want to go too deep into it, but but I think we would be remiss if we, we didn't at least mention this uh, as, as all the various things we're talking about here. Um, Patrick, Michelle, what do you all have to add? Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, struggled in other, um, in other realms with the whole white privilege thing. I mean, I'm not a white male, I'm a white female, so I lose a little bit of, you know, what I'm sure you guys have experienced, but um, I've been particularly tuned in to, um, the ultra running scene and how it really is just solidly white females and yeah. white males. Um, and I had a kind of list of books that I wanted to pick up as much as um, I heard Lauren Fleshman speak a few years ago of the book. So you think, so you want to talk about race or something like that. So I've had a list of books that I want to read on white privilege and a note in my phone. And I feel like at least for me, I actually went and bought one of them <laughs> from a local bookstore. So right on small store. So um, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. I've wanted to read it for a while and um, I didn't do the 2.23 mile run that I think the rest of, you know, the running and endurance sport community did the other day, but I did buy this book and I'm looking forward to reading it. And hopefully just if we can all do a little bit of our part, um, we can see more inclusivity in the sport. So. Very good. Very good. Patrick. Yeah. I almost don't have too much to add because words can't really even capture the tragedy of what happened you know, specifically to, to this man and also to what it demonstrates, you know, you know, for kind of a larger, you know, context there. Um, a few things to note, you know, he was running in Brunswick, Georgia, as you mentioned. For those of you who aren't familiar, that's right by like St. Simon's, Jekyll Island area. Um, so like I can tell you, like I have family in St. Simon's. I've been running in, in that area for, for quite a while. Um, so, I mean, I don't, almost don't have too much to add other than to say it's pretty horrific tragedy. I remember I was just on Twitter and the video popped up because somebody posted it and it's, it's pretty haunting um, you watched to, it? to see. I watched you, it. You mm -hmm. guys both watched it? Wow. Un unintentionally. Cause like I said, I was just scrolling and then there it was. And then once you get a few seconds in, you almost can't take your eyes off just because I have it's so devastating. X on every single time I came across what I thought was the yeah. video. Um, I, I, I made a point to only watch it once. Um, yeah. and, I, and I watched it once because, because it was part of understanding the process, but I didn't want it to turn into like murder porn. Um, mm -hmm. And so I refused yeah. to watch it more than once. What um, do you think you gained by watching it that you might not have just by the media surrounding it? Um, I, the, the, what, what, what inspired me to watch it was the dialogue around it. Um, and I and I didn't feel as if I could take part in or or properly reflect on that dialogue without having the experience of watching it myself. Um, and and I'm not trying to say, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that that nobody can talk about this unless they've watched the video. I'm not saying that at all. Sure. Uh, but, I, but but I'm saying I'm saying for myself, 
like seeing what people were writing about it and saying about it. Both people who said that 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 um, Ahmad Ar Arbery uh, needed to follow commands, which is ridiculous and racist in, on its face, um, but but. Um, also, people who who said that that you know this is the same thing I would have done. Um, I wanted to get a better sense of of what it was that they were seeing um, in the video, so so I watched it. Um, I'm not gonna. I, we, we will be talking about Ahmad Arbery in my class this summer, uh, in the co college course I'll be teaching this summer on race and where we talk about privilege. Uh, certainly, I won't be showing the video to them, um, no. um, because again, there's there's a place at which it turns into a snuff film. And, and that's that's obviously not what I want it to be. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, like I said, wanted to mention that. Let's move on to uh, to, to happier, more upbeat things, perhaps. Um, did you see the news about the Impossible Games? Um, the Bislett Games in Oslo, Norway, are rebranding themselves as the Impossible Games on June 11th. Um, and uh, let me just tell you what they're doing, and I want the two of you to pass judgment on whether you think it's overly gimmicky or it's the new normal or it's a step in the right direction or what. So um, first of all, like I said, they've rebranded as the impossible games as opposed to the Bislett games and the Bislett games is it's a diamond league track meet and it's, and it's uh, one of the most competitive track meets in the world. It's supposed to be on June 11th and they're keeping it on June 11th. Um, but rather than having a big international track meet where all sorts of people are packing the stands and, and they have, uh, athletes from around the world competing with one another. Uh, instead, it's mostly a regional, if not just a national meet. It's mostly like Norwegian um, and some other Scandinavian athletes that are taking part. Um, and they're doing things like trying to uh, uh, have a, a two-time world champion in the 400-meter hurdles. A guy named Karsten Warholm is going to try and break the world record at the 300-meter hurdles, which is something that's very rare, rarely ever run. Um, they're doing a whole bunch of like match races or match events between like uh, a couple of pole vaulters. And it's like, it's like, as soon as you miss the height, you're out. That's it. And it's a match race, right? Um, they're, they're doing a 3000 meter run um, with a, um, a Norwegian known named Caroline Gruvall. Um, and she's going to try and beat the Norwegian, uh, Greta Weitz's Norwegian 3000 meter record but without using a pacer, instead they're gonna use what's called the wave light system. Um, and that's basically a series of LEDs, uh, LEDs that go along the inside of the track at the proper pace at 68 seconds per lap. Uh, and she's gonna try and keep up with the light and that's gonna set the pace for her. So kind of doing some, some different, weird, innovative things. One hour it will last and it will be broadcast on television there across Norway, across Scandinavia, presumably across the world. Um, and, and we'll see these kind of innovative different events that uh, fall within the guidelines of, of social distancing uh, and the CDC of Norway, whatever the, the health department in Norway is called. What do y'all think? I think it's awesome. I think it's any way to make a bad, difficult situation for the athletes. And even though it's only for the Norwegian athletes, um, fun, it gives them something to look forward to. We know that the um, International Olympic Committee is not going to accept any qualifying times for the Olympics for next summer now. So people really have nothing to lose by going out and trying to run fast and having fun. I think we saw a virtual pole vault contest this past week and it was pretty fun to watch people all over the world. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I would imagine that this is actually, people will be a little bit more together than we're used to, even though there really won't be anybody in the stadium watching. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be one hour. And I think track and field has shown that when they condense something, you know, to that one hour uh, window, they get a pretty good uh, audience to watch it. So mm -hmm. I'm going to watch it. 
Mm-hmm. Patrick. This is the kind of thing track and field needs to do more often. Yeah. You're asking, is it gimmicky enough or too gimmicky? I say it's not gimmicky enough. This is what sports are. They're <laughs> entertainment, right? Like in other sports, uh, Tom Brady got hurt. Ratings went down. They said, here's an idea. Let's have rules. You can't hit quarterbacks. Boom. Ratings go through the roof. Like, you know, find out what people like and, and make it entertaining. And this, this is what it's, you know, makes it interesting. Uh, I also, I was thinking back to in the seventies and I think early eighties, they used to have a show called the wide world sports mm-hmm. where they would literally have like Wayne Gretzky run the hundred meter dash against like an NFL <laughs> linebacker or like an NBA player. And they're just like, yeah, what the heck? Let's see what happens. But it was a blast. If you've ever like YouTube, some of those highlights, they're fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of signs on the same lines to say, look, we don't have to be sterile all the time and talk about like, all right, the 3000 meters has to be exactly this many laps, this distance and kind of super standardized we can kind of insert some some strategy we can insert some uh you know levels of chaos or randomness or just some interesting twists along the way um i mean the most even outside of sports you look at a show like survivor which has had their 40th season they change the game every every time they add some kind of new immunity idol or something like that and i think we almost lose sight of that in track and field because we just kind of keep running the same races over and over again and there's something to be said for like record keeping to kind of keep that time trial element but from an entertainment perspective, we need to have a, a tournament or some, you know, something that makes it entertaining or that makes mm-hmm. it say, I wonder what's going to happen this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I heard a podcast uh, maybe a month or so ago that, that talked about Survivor as a sport. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a Survivor as a sport. And now we're in a place where we don't have any sports. You should go back and watch Survivor because <laughs> they were saying that it has all the elements of like a yeah. classic sport, you know, and all the drama and athleticism and unknown outcomes and all that sort of thing. Like all the things that you would normally look for in sport, you can find on Survivor. Um, they were arguing on this podcast, which I thought was kind of funny. It didn't inspire me necessarily to go watch Survivor. But um, but but yeah, what, what I think will be interesting um, and um, you know, just to, to borrow a little bit from, from like my other job um, as a college professor, this, uh, this summer, we're required to teach all of our classes virtually. Um, and, and we don't really know what the fall is going to look like. Um, and so we're kind of approaching this summer, me and the small group of colleagues I have that, that, that teach similar courses as almost like a lab that we're going to try some different things and we're going to poll students yep. as to what works best for them and that sort of thing so that we can actually learn and then apply some best practices this fall, whether we're online full-time or not this fall. And, and so I feel like, you know, to take the example of like the, the one hour track meet, like let's say that they find that, that, that the one hour thing is the way to go or match play is the way to go or innovative events is the way to go or something like that. Right. And they can actually apply that in the post pandemic track and field world. Um, and so this is a good time to experiment, I think. Um, and so I agree with both y'all. Um, Wasn't I'll, I'll the Diamond League already cutting down the time in which they were going to run their races and they had eliminated races? So I think the one hour precedent, they probably have everything they need behind that to know that that's a good time frame to introduce this. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see how they fill that time with these races versus the standard Diamond League races. Right on. Right on. I think it'd be cool. So speaking of, of different things we're seeing, um, 
we talked on this podcast several weeks ago when we talked about the marathon trials, which I think the marathon trials wrap up podcast we have might be our highest rated podcast of this year so far. If it's not, it probably should be because it was really good. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's because it was the first marathon trials wrap up podcast. Yes, release, it right? was. Yes, it was. Uh, despite the fact that you were horrified that I put it out without doing a whole lot of editing on it. I wanted to, be, you uploaded to get it, it before there. I got home. <laughs> like, let me just drive home. Uh, but anyway, putting that aside, um, uh, the we said either on that podcast or in a subsequent podcast that we were interested to see what Rich Kana, the director of uh, the Atlanta Track Club, was going to say um, once all was said and done, and once they got back to to um, or once he kind of reflected on what was going on. So. He gave an interview this week, and I, I just pulled up the quotation here, which is the reason why I was looking down and picking up my phone, because Michelle texted it to me uh, on Monday when, when, when it hit the airwaves. Uh, as Michelle does, and which I totally appreciate, and if she ever gets the impression that I don't appreciate that, I totally do. Uh, but here's the quotation that he gave to David Monta. Um, he said, we won't be bidding on future trials unless there's a significant change in the bid requirements. With due respect to our friends at USATF, it is my belief that they need to put more skin in the game and not rely exclusively on local organizing committees and NBC to carry 100% of the expenses for the event. I believe there's a better model to be built that will incentivize excellence for all involved, unquote. What do y'all think? So, you know, the five page article, I have one quote highlighted and it's that one. Contextualize it for us. Put it, put, put I in, think this put is what the, the other five pages. Sure. I think this is what I expected from him. I think we had mentioned on the podcast that it will be interesting to see how the Atlanta Track Club debriefs their weekend. Um, you know, in terms of getting people out on the streets and getting the word out about running and, as he says, showing that Atlanta's running City USA, I mean, the Atlanta Track Club exceeded all expectations and For local sure. sponsors, um, Olympic and non-Olympic came through in every way that they could. They predicted 100,000 spectators. Atlanta police said there was over 200,000. They exceeded, you know, um, night stay hotel rooms throughout Atlanta throughout the weekend and 40% increase in the public's races that were uh, the Sunday following the trials. But I think there's just too much politics that goes on between, you know, what they have to do to comply with USATF and the Olympic standards and just being a local organizing committee trying to get people to sponsor the sport. I think it was way too complicated. And as he mentioned in the article, and they foresaw this, but it put them way into the red. And I'm pretty sure that even though they knew they would be way into the red after this weekend, I'm just going to go out on another limb here and say that they probably expected to make up a lot of that with Peachtree, with yeah. the Thanksgiving half marathon, with the Grand Prix series, with the triple peach, you know, entrance entrance fees and it doesn't look like much of that is going to happen if any yeah. of it so it was an amazing weekend i think that the pandemic coming right after it is just an unfortunate circumstance for you know the fiscal uh future of atlanta track club but hopefully they'll find a way to recover yeah but I, it doesn't I, seem I, like we're getting another trials here anytime soon so what i i think i think the, the 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 fact that the pandemic came right afterwards puts in sharper relief the fiscal situation. And sure. so so we might be or the Atlanta Track Club, if if they were able to move back into the black fairly quickly and easily the way that they probably expected to, um, then I, I don't think that they would be liable to to complain. But but 
because they're not, it really shines a brighter light on it and says, you know what? Local organizing committees shouldn't have to go into the red in order to be able to do this. Right. Um, they're kind of doing a favor, a service for the running community and for USATF. They shouldn't have to go into debt in order to do it. Um, and so, so I, I, did, I think that the, it was an unfortunate coincidence, but I do think it brings it into sharper relief, which I think is important for us to consider. Patrick, what were you going to say? I'll say too, it sounds like it's not just a fiscal bird, but also just kind of the, all the requirements they had to meet, right? It's all the different rules and regulations they had to meet. So it sounds like part of the message is like, look, you're going to tell us how to do our job, at least provide us some aid. Hmm. You know, a bit of a carrot to the stick, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, he said the biggest risk, um, you know, the biggest risk mitigation that they had was with staff and time and how to make sure that everybody was allocated and that they had the resources. And, um, you know, I think that it seems that a lot of the sponsors came through with um, in non-monetary ways, like Coke hosted, you know, a dinner for all the athletes. Nike is not even the sponsor for Atlanta Track Club, but man, every single trials volunteer had a gorgeous waterproof Nike jacket. They had hats. So I think a lot of um, sponsors came through in ways, but not in terms of dollars. And a lot of that is precluded by all the rules surrounding USATF and the mm -hmm. IOC. So yeah. they were just too limited. Um, and there's very few organizations in the country who could even take the risk that Atlanta Track Club did with the trials. I mean, maybe New York Roadrunners, Boston, LA did it four years ago. Um, I don't think it turned out very well for them either. So I think it's interesting that Atlanta hosts the Olympics and, you know, that doesn't work out very well for most cities after hosting the Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, and now we have the marathon trials and the executive director of Atlanta Track Club saying, yeah, that, you know, wasn't so great for us, <laughs> even though the whole weekend itself was amazing, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there, there's, there's got to be a way, and I know there is a way. Sure. Um, there, there's Make a business be, model. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there's got to be a way to make to make the awesome weekend that we all experienced. And again, not a flaw in that weekend. Not uh, a flaw. <laughs> that, 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 was, that was a fantastic weekend and, and ATC pulled it off and it was great. And, and, I, and I loved it. And we all loved it. And everybody loved it. I mean, people who flew here from New York loved it. I mean, you know, sure. everybody had a ball. Um, uh, there's got to be a way to have all that magic and wonderfulness um, but still have it be sustainable and not be um, something that the local organizing committee has to entirely take on their own backs. Um, so hopefully that's something that, that USATF will hear and, and, and will act on. Um, let's talk about one more quick thing. And then of course we want to mention the things that are bringing us joy. And I almost wanted to skip directly to the things that are bringing us joy when you showed me what it was that you were going to be talking about, Michelle, but I was able to hold out here to the very end, but I do want to mention one quick thing here. Um, so we mentioned last week that the, uh, the virtual pride 5k that Nikki Hiltz is putting on, um, I've signed up for it. Uh, we've had a few people that, that told us they heard us talk about it on the podcast and they signed up for it. Great. Fantastic. And let me put another, a couple other kind of virtual challenges on, on your, uh, on your radar. Um, there is one that's virtual race across America. Um, Ram, the race across America that my, my wife competed in in 2012 and 2013. Um, and, you know, here in our workout room, we literally have the finisher medal over there. Maybe I should put that one on the door. Uh, I'll do that next time. But, um, but uh, Ram, the race across America, the 3,000 mile race from Oceanside, California to uh, uh, Annapolis, Maryland is going to happen this year, but it's going to happen virtually. Um, and they initially said that they were going to be putting it on Strava and have a special Ram world, not on Strava, on, uh, on yeah, on Zwift. That's what I meant to say, on Zwift. Uh, and then the, the, they 
kind of followed up a couple weeks later and said, after carefully considering rider experience, volume of interest, and ease of use, we are now proud to be powered by full gas, uh, which I've talked about on this podcast before that I've been trying out over the course of the past month and which I really, really like. But um, they have their, their statement said that VRAM and VRAW, that's, that's Race Across America and Race Across the West, will be over 12 days. Each day will have an allotted number of segments allowing riders to accumulate as many miles as possible per day. These will then make up a progress slash leaderboard. The maximum time that a rider can be on his bike is 20 hours per day. No teams, unfortunately, this year. Um, 20 hours a day? 20 hours a day on your indoor bike. That's the I maximum mean, you can spend. Is anybody worried about saddle sore or anything? So, oh, like yeah. That? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you, but you'd be worried about that if you, were, if you were doing not virtual Race Across America as well. Right. True, true. Um, and so uh, in not virtual race across America, um, as Thomas Odom talked about when he came on here after he uh, successfully completed uh, him and Jesse Turk, his uh, his his uh, crew chief, um, that everybody rides about 36 hours before they stop for the first time. They ride. They start around midday <laughs> on on uh, on a Tuesday and they all ride through Tuesday night, then all day Wednesday, and then into Wednesday night, and they, they take their first sleep break in the middle of the night on Wednesday night slash Thursday morning. That's not gonna be allowed in the virtual version here, because the most that you can actually spend on your bike every single day is 20 hours. Um, and it's over the course of that 12 days. Now, the exact rules, it's, it's whether it's you have 20 hours over the course of 12 days, and everybody's going for 12 days, and it's whoever gets the farthest, or is it going to be the first person to get to 3,000 virtual miles or, or exactly how that's going to look is not entirely certain yet, but you can actually sign up on the virtual RAM webpage if you want to get updates. And that's something that I've done. Um, if you're looking, so there's also a day by day challenge. So if riding 3,000 virtual miles is a little bit too much for you, if riding 900 virtual miles, which is the, uh, the, the virtual race across the West is too much for you. They also have a, just a, a 12 day challenge where you ride your bike a certain amount uh, on each of the 12 days uh, starting in mid-June. Um, and uh, depending on how that works out, that might be something I end up doing. Um, if you're looking for more of a long-term challenge, uh, another one that I, I'm probably going to sign up for and try and find some teammates for, and so if you want to be one of my teammates here, by all means, join me. Um, it's called the Coast to Coast Cycling Challenge, um, and it's a virtual ride from uh, the Outer Banks in North Carolina all the way on I-40 from Wilmington, North Carolina to however far you can go. Um, and there is a 625 mile option. There is a 1,250 mile option. There's a 1,750 mile option. And then there's the full 2,500 mile option. Um, I'm thinking I'm probably going to go for the 1,250 or 1,750, but it's over the course of 13 weeks. And so you have a lot more time to do it uh, between Memorial Day and Labor Day. And so if you uh, want a team to, to, to be on with that and you want to hook up on, on my, they're calling them convoys. If you want to be part of my convoy, let me know because I think that's something I'm probably going to sign up for as well. If you want to be part of that virtual cycling challenge with me. So that should be pretty cool too. I don't expect either one of y'all are going to be joining me on that. No. Does anybody <laughs> actually want to be on your convoy? I already have three people on my convoy, thank you. But wow. there is a prize for having the largest convoy. Oh, you got to win it. I'm saying that's the reason why I'm talking about it on the podcast. So drop me a line, george at itlcoaching.com, pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook and we will, uh, we will add you to the convoy. Uh, it needs to be before Memorial Day, though, which is only about 11 days away. Um, all right, let's talk about what's bringing me joy. I've been talking a lot over the course of the past few minutes here. So, Michelle, I know you got something that's bringing you joy. Tell us what it is. So, there's a backstory. <laughs> um, I've been watching the Marvel movies on the treadmill and 
I know. You have. <laughs> I didn't that tell you that. That's such good news. I know. It's because you overwhelmed me with Star Wars memes when I did Star Wars last year. So I secretly am like way through a lot of the Marvel movies. So we can talk about it more off there. Right. But um, Well, you just told me that. You prepare <laughs> for the onslaught of Marvel memes. Keep yeah. Going. So typically I read on the treadmill until I can't read anymore. And I was doing that. And then I went into Disney Plus and I'm you know, still just trying to keep running. And I couldn't remember which Marvel movie I was on. And I think the problem is I had watched the beginning of Civil War on another device mm. and I just was on the different device. So I remembered reading in the morning shakeout um, newsletter this week that Mumford and Sons, uh, Mario Frilia had come across like a 21 minute video on YouTube of them playing acoustic. And I watched that for kind of the last 20 minutes of my run. And I was super happy that when I was super frustrated that I couldn't find the movie I wanted to watch, I remembered about that Mumford and Sons video. So hmm. I know I don't do music. I do have a few bands that I really just like speak to me. So that was one of them. And it's a great, it's a great set. So. And Mumford and Sons is one of the bands that speaks to you, even though you don't love bands. Right. I mean, I don't know anything about music, but there are a few groups that I very much like and follow and know all the words and they happen to be one of them and I can't explain why. So don't ask me that. Don't ask me anything I'm, deep I'm or not, anything. Just, I'm okay. not going to ask you a single <laughs> deep thing. I, I'm just going to start overwhelming with both Marvel and Mumford and Son memes now. This is good I to know. I can totally not wait. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, we'll post a link to it uh, when we when we post the podcast here as well. Um, yeah, we will. <laughs> uh, yeah, we will. Uh, Patrick, you got something that's bringing you joy? Sure. So last week was the anniversary of uh, Roger Bannister's four minute mile or 359 to be more specific. So uh, I just have had a chance the past week or so to read a few articles about him. I've obviously known about him for a while, I've read several books, very familiar with kind of him as a person and the character that he represents. But I, th I guess the thing I'm thankful for is to have people like him who came into this sport and helped build it to be what it is. Um, I always enjoy reading his biography, reading his words, reading about his approach um, to the sport and to the mile specifically, um, and just kind of how it affected us, you know, even today here, what, 60 years later, I think he, he ran the four-minute mile in, in 1955, 1954, mm -hmm. and 54, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, you know, he was really was kind of the last amateur, so to speak. I know that's almost become cliche at this point. And so I really just enjoyed diving into his life and his approach um, to, you know, the sport as that last amateur. You know, as we talk about a lot of the pros on this, sh on this podcast a lot, you know, but in many ways, you know, it it's a little hard to, to identify with them in a way that I can identify with him because he was having to be a student. He was having to, to go through, you know, med school while running and training um, as opposed to kind of just you know, focusing solely on athletics. So I guess what I'm thankful for is, you know, stories like that, characters like that in our sport who we can kind of look to for, for inspiration, guidance, you know, whatever, you know, word you want to use there. Right on, right on. Uh, that segues, well, both of those kind of segue in, into the one I'm going to share with you. Um, so one of my favorite runners uh, announced his retirement this week. Um, and you talk about, you know, the things that you see in, in different people you look up to and the people your favorites, you know, Michelle said that, that Mumford and Sons music speaks to her. Um, I think for myself, when I look at like historical figures that I appreciate, and when I look at like runners, either historical runners or current runners that I like and that I'm a fan of, um, there's something in them that I either recognize in myself or something that I aspire to be or something else like that. 
Um, and so because of that, one of my favorite runners over the course of the past uh, couple of decades has been Dathan Ritzenhine. Um, mm-hmm. And um, Dathan Ritzenhine announced that he was uh, retiring this week. Um, and uh, he, uh, he posted on Instagram, uh, and I'll, I'll read not the entire Instagram post, but I do want to read the, the first little bit of it to you. It says, um, it's been an amazing journey. For 20 plus years, I've given everything I had to be the best athlete I could be. I lived and breathed running ever since I was an 11-year-old boy tagging along my dad's workouts. I was blessed with support the entire way through a career that would be filled with incredible highs and lows. When I was in high school and just beginning my journey, I never would have dreamt that I'd have a 16-year professional career. Through running, I met my wife, got an education, and was paid to do something I absolutely loved. I had the chance to show my kids what it means to have passion and to give everything to my goals. It showed me humility and defeat and triumph. It helped me reach the deepest well and made me push beyond what I thought possible. Many times until I could run no farther, then I would get up and do it again. More than anything else, running showed me what it is to be resilient. It doesn't have to look like Olympic teams, championship medals, and American records. Most of the time, it looked like double runs and gym sessions, MRI machines, and sweat pouring over a bike, a grimace over a smile. But ultimately, I learned more about myself than I ever could have known. Um, I, I, I like that, and that actually, in a lot of ways, is so fitting for his retirement here because mm-hmm. it, it encapsulates what I like about him so much. Um, Dathan Ritzenheim, probably more than any other runner at his level over the course of the past 20 years, has been injured yes. <laughs> so much so much um and and it's it's almost like in his running career he was either injured or like setting american records he it was it was really really all or nothing um and you can't be so good when you're healthy unless you're continuing to work really 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 hard and stay super dedicated when you're not healthy and when you're injured and so um something about that always spoke to me about about his resilience and about um um about his willingness to, to soldier on despite the fact that, that he was so often injured. Um, and that's something I always admired about him and, and, and will continue to admire about him. So uh, he's now over 40 years old and he qualified for the Olympic trials and I think was one of the oldest Olympic trials qualifiers. Um, and, uh, and so, so this, is, this is not unexpected by any stretch, um, but it is appreciated and, uh, and I wish him a happy career. Uh, I imagine he's gonna go into coaching. Is that what you think, Michelle? Uh, I was going to say that I think we're very fortunate that uh, Ritz is not leaving the sport anytime soon. He's currently Parker Stenson's coach, Mm -hmm. um, who's, you know, one of the, I guess, foremost up and coming uh, male American marathoners. And I do believe he coaches a few females also that are sort of right at that elite sub elite level. And I think we're just going to see him stay in the sport. I think he transitioned the last two years to train under um, Keith and Kevin Hansen and, you know, probably, even though he tried to stay competitive and did qualify for the marathon trials, I have to think that he probably learned more from them about kind of transitioning into coaching and how that can play out over the rest of his life. And I think it's good for the sport that we'll see him. And I also think that we should post the 90 second clip from the 2003 NCAA cross countries. Cause that is yeah. like, it's I brilliant. mean, that is just, that is yeah. brilliant racing. That is, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We need to post I, I agree that. with you. Everybody so, so, should watch that. Please go to YouTube and watch that. <laughs> so, so, so what, 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 what Michelle is talking about, what I am going to post, and this is actually the part of it that brings me joy. Um, sort of similar to what Patrick said, that, that we're at a place now where, you can, where, where he looks back on and watches these old things. So, so now that Dathan Ritzenheim has announced his retirement, he's like, okay, I'm done. Now we can begin reflecting on all the fantastic things he's done as opposed to wondering what he's going to do next. 
um, at least as an athlete. I think he's going to do some mm-hmm. great things as a coach potentially. Um, and and one of the the more exciting races that you can find a clip of, um, and it was posted on Twitter by the NCAA themselves a couple of years ago, um, is from the 2003 NCAA Cross Country Championships. Uh, where he and Ryan Hall, who, of course, is Sarah Hall's husband and, and went on to multiple U.S. championships and, and was also on several Olympic teams along with Dathan Ritzenheim, uh, were battling down the stretch in the last two minutes of the, uh, the NCAA cross-country championships. And spoiler alert, Ritzenheim gets him. It's a, it's a great race to watch both of them digging super, super deep and, and to see Ritzenheim actually win that NCAA championship. So uh, we'll post that uh, when we post the Mumford and Sons video that Michelle did and, and any specific things if, if Patrick has about, uh, about, about uh, Roger Bannister. Actually, I think there's a really good video of Roger Bannister actually running the race. Uh, you don't get to see the video all that often, so, so we'll post that one as well. But definitely bringing us joy and uh, hopefully bringing all of you joy as well. Um, Patrick, Michelle, thanks for being with me once again. Thanks for having us. Enjoy it as always. Thanks for joining us, everybody. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Twitter at pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. And you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance, at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, at Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at slayerx.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash here4slayerx. That's the number four, here4slayerx. On Instagram at here4slayerx, again the number four, and on Twitter at officialslayrx. Don't forget the discount code PLEASANT2020. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.